Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creation Podcast, the show where we discuss the science that confirms scripture. I'm your host, Trey, and I have with me today ICR's resident geologist, Dr. Timothy Clary. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Clary. Well, it's always great to be here. Good, good. Uh, it's great to have you. So today we're uh, talking about something that uh, has kind of become an issue, at least from my side of things. After you published your book, Carved in Stone, I see comments on YouTube and uh, on social media, and they're like, well, what about seafloor spreading? And so I'm not an expert on this, but from my understanding, a uh, new sea floor is formed when magma rises from the crust. And uh, once it's above the crust, it is then lava. And uh, then it creates, it, it cools, it hardens, it creates new sea floor. Um, can you tell me, what is the age of this sea floor? Well, at, at these ridges, there's ocean ridges. Every ocean has an ocean ridge. And that's because you have a lot of heat. And heat pushes things up like a hot air balloon goes up. So you have these ocean ridges today. There's still the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, which is in the middle of the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. There's the East Pacific Rise, which is broader because it's still spreading a little bit faster. And so the more heat, for whatever reason, more magma's coming up, making more crust in the Pacific. Even today, a little bit faster than it is in the Atlantic. And so you have a little broader ridge. There's an Indian Ocean Ridge and the Arctic Ocean. They all Every ocean has a ridge, so... Mm -hmm. In the 50s and 60s, geologists started figuring out these ridges are the key. A guy named Harry Hess, who's a professor at Princeton University, published a paper on, on seafloor spreading, which is you know, really out there in terms of what people thought. Uh, up until that time, people disregarded any sort of plate movement. They didn't know what a plate was, for one thing. But they didn't believe in this continental drift that mm -hmm. Alfred Wegener was pushing in the early 20th century for about 20 years. And so they said, no, 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 there's no evidence the continents are moving at all. That can't be right. Even though he had a really good data to show that they fit together really well, the fossils matched, all these different things. They just said, no, 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 we don't see it moving. And so then in the 50s and 60s after World War II, they started collecting all this data on the ocean floor. And amazingly, when I was born, there was no map of the ocean floor. Nobody had made a complete map of the ocean floor. So it wasn't until the 1960s uh, that – with the help of National Geographic and others, uh, they actually came up with the first map of the ocean floor using a lot of sonar, which mm -hmm. was really developed and started using in World War II and afterwards. And so to study the ocean floor, all these National Science Foundation was established in the 50s, I believe, or 40s. Uh, you know, naval research, all these funding sources from the government to study the oceans because we're worried about Russian submarines and communist submarines during the Cold War that was going on. So in the process, we collected all this really cool data. As scientists, they started putting it together, realizing these ridges are where the ocean crust is you know, being produced. It's actually the lithosphere. And so the lithosphere is about a 60-mile-thick section. It includes the crust plus some of the upper mantle, mm. which, again, that kind of fleshed out later in the 60s. How thick is the crust? The crust is in the ocean is only maybe well, 6 to 10 kilometers. Okay. So you're looking at you know, 2 or 3 miles maybe. Six very, miles at the thickest. Thin, yeah. yeah, the ocean crust is very thin, and it is being produced, uh, we believe, by what's called a partial melt. It's not a full melt of the mantle. And so for whatever reason, there's heat coming up on all these ridges that elevates those ridges, and then it seems to be that the ridges produce almost like a conveyor belt, new ocean crust. As the crust kind of slides down and cools, it sinks, 
and slides away from that ridge and keeps moving. And so today they're moving just a couple centimeters or a couple inches at the most a year. So that new seafloor, I'm sure, would be younger than what's around it, right? Right. And so you're looking, yeah, that's the youngest crust or youngest lithosphere that's being made. We can just say crust and not worry about it. Okay. Uh, but it's the youngest that's being created is at the ridges. And as you go out, it progressively gets older and older and older. Okay. And so you can actually see that in the sediments. You know, I hate to use age dates, uh, but, you know, conventional scientists have age dated these by cores. And they've, they do see a progression of age, but you can see that with the sediments as well. You can see youngest sedimentation is near the ridges, and you get more and more sedimentation as you move away. So the idea of a, you know, the ridge being the youngest and they're like a, like a beginning of a conveyor belt system kind of going off on each side uh, does seem to really work. And that was very groundbreaking in the, in the early 1960s. And then they realized that oceans then, that's the key to this so-called continental drift. Mm. And so it's the ocean crust that's coming and going, and the continents really are along for the ride. Uh, but, but nobody really wanted to believe the continents were moving. Why? Uh, just because they don't see them moving. You know, nobody can see them Very moving. slow, right? Yeah, but, How but, quickly do they move? Well, they're moving just a couple inches or, you know, a couple centimeters per year yeah. uh, today. But during the flood, of course, we believe they moved a lot faster. That's, that's, that's a little bit of another story that maybe we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, during the flood year, we believe they move very, very quick, you know, several yards per second. Uh, but uh, we'll get to that. But right now, I mean... But, but today they're moving yeah. very, very slowly, just kind of residual movement of these plates all over the earth. There's about you know, 20 or 25 plates that are kind of jostling around a little bit. Okay. And they're really about 100 kilometers thick or 60 miles thick. Uh, and the crust in the ocean is very thin on top of it. Now, the continental crust is much thicker. Right. That's, you're looking at stuff that's 20 to 40 kilometers, so you're looking at 25 miles thick. So Sometimes even thicker. We're not yeah. going to fall through the crust if we're on the continent. No, yeah. no pro- pro- probably not. But it is thinner in the ocean. Yeah, you know, it's because it, it's only it's being produced. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the ocean crust actually is new. It formed during the flood year, and you're still seeing a little bit forming today. But that's the reason why you still have those ridges is you still have some magma coming up from the mantle. Right. Yeah, the source of uh, I like to say the earth bleeds basalt because that's what the ocean crust really is. It's a, it's a black igneous rock uh, full of iron and magnesium minerals. Uh, versus the continents are a completely different crust. They're more of a granite, mm. and they're, they're more of the lighter-colored uh, minerals, more of like would you find a typical granite, like a pink granite or something like that. Gotcha. So that's kind of the general two different types of crust. There's completely different types of crust in the ocean versus what uh, the continents are. And it's because the ocean crust was created anew during the flood year. Okay. So seafloor spreading, uh, flood aside, we'll get to that later, but seafloor spreading in general, that is important to both mainstream scientists and creationists, correct? I agree. Oh, yeah. And I agree that, you know, there's still still some people in the creation world that don't want to believe in plate tectonics. We get complaints at ICR, and how can you believe in that evolutionary theory? Well, you know, it's not just an evolutionary theory. It's actually the, it seems to be the best theory to explain what we see in the world today that, you know, the, the new ocean crust or the, ocean, the continents are much older. You know, they're probably from the original creation. Much of the continents are. Some of them were added on a little bit too during the flood year. Uh, but for the most part, the continents, I think, were the part of God's original creation of the earth back 6,000 years ago. And it's the oceans that kind of came and went mm. uh, during, the, during the flood year. And so we see a new ocean crust, really, compared to the continents in some regard. Okay, and that doesn't contradict scripture no, in any way. Not, no. not, not at all. I, just, I don't understand why people will insist that we can't believe in that because 
but there's so much data that supports it. Right. You know, again, we don't have all the answers. There's, there's, you know, like everything in, in a historical science like geology, you can't go back and repeat, you know, rapid seafloor spreading. You can't repeat a lot of this. You can see what's happening today. And, and to project back into time at those same rates is what the evolutionists do. So they believe, of course, real slow movement always occurred. But again, remember, they didn't believe any movement 60, 70 years ago. And now they, with satellites, we can tell that the continents really are moving a little bit and verifying that slow, slow movement today. But, they can, of course, they don't want to ever believe that there was ever a moment of rapid movement. Right, no would, catastrophe. That would, that, would, that would disrupt their idea of you know, deep time and slow, steady movement. All right, so let's take a look at uh, deep time, at least as far as seafloor spreading is concerned. So when we look at seafloor spreading, uniformitarian scientists would say, that uh, it's moving slowly and it's always been happening and it just kind of moves inch by inch over long spans of time, just continually. Uh, what is the purpose there? Well, I guess there's not really a, a purpose, but I mean, what part does that play when it comes to their overall worldview? Well, they, they still struggle to exactly know when in their deep time history, when did plate tectonics begin? Okay. There's a little bit of a struggle like, when did it all begin? When did the plates start moving? And so they're a little bit uncertain trying to explain how the plates begin to move. How do you begin subduction? And so that's still a, still a question out there, even in the creation community, you know, how does subduction begin? Uh, and how does, you know, plates originate? But we have a little bit better answer because I believe in the account of the flood, you can read in Genesis 7, 11 about the fountains of the deep, mm -hmm. you know, burst. So God miraculously cracked open all these cracks over the earth. I believe that was the beginnings of these tectonic plates. And exactly how they started to subduct and seafloor spreading started to occur, because you have to kind of balance the two. You have to destroy ocean crust. If you're making new ocean crust, you can't just keep making ocean crust. And so that's what they figured out. You know, that's kind of put together the whole idea of plate tectonics. Okay. Uh, but during the flood year, we think that uh, happened really, really fast. And there's there's some good arguments for that and some evidence for that, in fact. You've mentioned this word a couple of times before, uh, subduct. And so I'm just, you know, context clues. I'm imagining that is the opposite of the creation of this new sea floor. Um, what does that look like? Well, that's... Yeah, you get the ridges that makes the ocean crust. So you're pushing material out. And then somewhere, usually you got to figure there's different types of boundaries. Uh, the plates interact different ways. And one of the ways is called a convergent boundary where they're coming together. And that's often where you'll have subduction that occurs. Okay. And so there's the ocean crust is a little more dense because the minerals are a little heavier than the continental crust, which is thicker and, and more buoyant, almost like a cork. And so for the most part, it's the ocean crust. When they abut against each other, something's got to give. And it's the ocean crust, it's a little more dense, so it gets kind of pushed down mm. or subducted. It gets actually pulled down into the earth. And so it's really this, what they call slab pull, because it is more dense. And it's colder and more dense and than, the, than the continental crust, which is maybe cold but less dense. And so the more dense material kind of pulls down in. And John Baumgartner, a geophysicist uh, working for the government at the time, did a really sophisticated computer model back starting in the 1980s. I was working for a government uh, laboratory. He did this really sophisticated computer model that showed that once that subduction begins at a certain rate, reaches a certain temperature, it's going to just slide into the earth 
very, very rapidly, which, which he termed runaway subduction. And his math has never been shown to be wrong. It's exactly what, under the conditions of, that he put in the conditions we see today of the subduction process. If you had cold enough slab, cold enough ocean crust that was originally created that way, it's going to fall into the earth very, very rapidly. So colder things are a little more dense. The minerals are a little more dense than the continents, for example, so you're going to get some that's going to pull down in. So that's where you get a deep ocean trench along the boundary, okay. like we see along the coast of the Andes, for example, on South America. There's an ocean trench. We see trenches all over the Pacific, the Marianas Trench, et cetera, anywhere you have subduction because as you fold that ocean crust and that plate, it makes a bend. Okay. And it makes actually a V-shaped trough that runs along the length of that whole subduction zone. As it, as it kind of drops in the earth. Some of them go down at different angles, and we can image those. Back in the 50s, they started seeing earthquakes going down what seemed to be a, a planar surface going down below these trenches. And they're like, well, that's really weird. And they call them the Beniov zone, named after uh, believe the Russian scientist who identified them. And so they started plotting up earthquake seismographs all over the earth and recording these earthquakes. Uh, again, trying to detect our enemies. Uh, There's always a purpose. Underground <laughs> yeah. nuclear testing. Right. You know, they set off earthquakes, artificial earthquakes, so we can detect basically if the you know communist nations or whoever we were monitoring, who's setting off nuclear bombs underground. And so they they were doing the same thing. But so we're all kind of collecting data, and some of that data was showing clear evidence of these subducted slabs. And then in the last twenty or so years, we've actually used what's called seismic tomography, you know, the T, and that's this long. Distance, it's a refraction of the way the waves bend into the earth by different speeds of the rocks, et cetera. You don't need to know all the details. <laughs> but we can actually image these slabs going down into the mantle. Wow. And you can see by the different the density, you can see this 60-mile-thick slab going all the way down. And we started measuring them down to about 700 kilometers where the earthquake's end. But even we've extended below that now all the way down to the core. In some cases, you see these slabs that kind of bend around like a wet spaghetti noodle. That's been cooked, but they're still cold, all the way down to the core. They're I was about still, to say, so they're not melting. No, they're the same density all the okay. way down. Essentially, they haven't changed at all. I mean, there's some cooking that takes place, and they get softer. But essentially, the, the 60 mile thick slab, if it was moving slowly over millions of years, just a few centimeters per year, a couple inches per year, going down that deep into the mantle, a couple thousand kilometers down, you know, over a thousand miles, 1,200 miles down or more, they should have. Dissipated. The, yeah, it should dissipate the density, the, the temperature. So the best explanation is these things are still cold. Okay. And that's one problem the evolutionary community has, is trying to explain why are all these cold slabs down deep in the earth all the way down to the top of the core. So if they're still cold, uh, if they haven't melted or, uh, I guess, melted for lack of a better word, disappeared, um, become liquid, then that kind of assumes that they're young, correct? They went down fast. Yeah. yeah. It also insinuates that John Baumgartner is correct. That yeah. There was a moment in Earth's history of runaway subduction when all these slabs went down. So what we believe is creation is in what's called catastrophic plate tectonics. You know, runaway subduction is part of that where you had runaway subduction. So if you're runaway subduction, you get a very rapid production of ocean crust as well. Right. And that's what would have made, you know, they, you have to balance. You can't change the volume of the earth. So if you're subducting part of the crust away, you got to make new crust. And that's what happened during the flood year is you made a completely new ocean crust. And that's why the oceans are much younger in terms of their sedimentary rock layers that we see 
and also the compared to the continents, we don't even see in the oceans any ocean crust that's older than, if I'm trying to use my geological time terms, hate to use them, but older than the Triassic, I believe that's about the oldest ocean crust that's out there. Okay. Which goes back to, in terms of mega sequences, we're looking at the Absarica mega sequence. So there's no Sauk mega sequence, there's no Cambrian crust, there's no Tippecanoe, there's no Kaskaskia mega sequence, all those. You know, Which are on the continents. Right. The, right. the lower part of the, the the so-called geological column, uh, they don't exist in the oceans because all that was subducted away, presumably, if there was any. Okay. And so even the sediments got kind of destroyed in the process or smeared onto some of the edges of the continents like California. Okay. And it's, it's, it's very fascinating uh, when you consider that all this could have happened so quickly. Right. And, but the evidence is there. And we also see evidence that I got a chance to go to Kodiak Island uh, 10 or 12 years ago, part of a project that ICR was funding, uh, a fast project uh, looking at fast sedimentation and fast tectonics. And John Bumgarner and I got a chance to work a little bit together. But I got a chance to go to Kodiak and collect some samples of rock where you see a melted rock that's almost 12 inches thick, which is called pseudo-tacolite, which is a pseudo means, you know, not quite, uh, and tacolite's of uh, igneous rock. So they kind of named it after what looks like an igneous rock, but it was an igneous rock, but it was formed by frictional melting. Mm. And in this case, it was a subduction zone that moved so quickly, uh, it melted over 12 inches of rock, which to get just a couple, you know, millimeters, fractions of inches of melt, you have to have hundreds of feet of movement. Right. And so the guys that originally published on this uh, in the secular journals and conventional journals said, you know, we don't even want to speculate how much movement there must have been to create that much melt, uh, which is the thickest they've found in the world. Okay. But it's a, and it's a subduction zone. And so here we have evidence of, you know, rock evidence of real rapid subduction. We have the geophysical evidence and the seismic tomography of cold slabs deep in the earth. You know, to me, that's as strong as evidence you can get in geology. Right. And you got the actual rocks plus the, uh, you know, the seismic imagery of it. To me, it's pretty compelling to show that there really was a moment of rapid runaway plate movement or runaway subduction. And we think that's what helped bring on the flood. I mean, I, in my opinion... Catastrophic plate tectonics was the mechanism that God used to bring on the flood. All right. Well, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, right now, we're actually going to launch into our random science question of the day. And uh, well, today it's not as random because we do get a lot of comments uh, in regard to plate tectonics and other related geological matters. And so... But we often get comments that are telling us, ICR, plate tectonics is wrong. You need to look into the hydroplate theory. And at, here at ICR, we don't stand by the hydroplate theory. And I want you to tell me and our listeners and viewers uh, why we don't agree with that point of view. Okay. Well, it, it's changed a little bit over the years, but it's been around for a long time. Walt Brown and, and uh, you know, he's come up with it. He had a really interesting theory back, I believe, in the 80s when he first started publishing this. And he actually worked for ICR for a while, and then they kind of parted ways uh, back, you know, way before you, you were in my time. Yeah, uh, way so, before but, I was but born. But I did talk to Walt Brown <laughs> a couple of years back. I talked to him on the phone, and we kind of spiraled a little bit back and forth about, well, what about this? What about this? But his basic idea is that there is a, I believe the latest is, I might have this wrong, 60-mile-thick layer of granite that God created in his, you know, ideas uh, all around the earth, 60 miles of granite, which is what the continents are made out of, 60 miles thick. 
And then underneath that, there was about a mile thick of water. There's a zone of a, about a mile of water. And then you go into the mantle and all that stuff, whatever, down below. I think that's the current numbers. And so that supposedly broke open you know, with God's, God's command in the fountains of the great deep. Similar to plate tectonics, we believe these cracks opened all over the earth at the same time. Uh, again, probably miraculously, which in his case cracked open these granite slabs, and it started, the water started shooting out because it was under high pressure by the 60 miles of granite pushing down and shoot up into the sky and ripping off pieces of the granite and shooting up material into space. And he says all the asteroids and things like that are all created because of that process as well. And it's, it gets into more things. But that's the basic idea. There was water under 60-mile-thick granite crust all over the Earth, and they cracked open and shot a lot of material up. And some of that water, of course, came up and flooded the Earth. And there was some movement at the end where they kind of slid away from each other. And so that's his argument for making the Atlantic Ridge is it kind of rose up because of the pressure release. Mm -hmm. And you're not really making crust. That's just kind of cracked open, and then these big continental slabs slid away. But I asked Walt, I said, well, how do you move, like North America, for example, over even a bigger ridge? The Pacific Ocean I talked about earlier, is the East Pacific Rise is much bigger and broader than the Atlantic. And, you know, he said, well, it's a bit of a problem. And, but, you know, you went right over it. And yeah. so things are moving so fast that even North America during plate movement, you're able to run over an ocean ridge, which is normally doesn't happen anywhere in the world. Right. And just little in small bits. But North America is a little bit different because of that. The, the geology of the Rockies are different because of that. And they're much wider and there's some issues with, you know, Yellowstone and other things because I believe that happened. Whereas most mountain ranges are very narrow and they're very close to the coast from a subduction zone. The Rockies are very wide. Mm. And I think it's because they went over a, a ridge. So that's a problem. With, he has it. Also, what happened to 70% of that granite suddenly became a very thin basalt. Right. I was thinking like. You know, the whole ocean crust is completely is different. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't think he's come up with an explanation for that. Okay. And third and finally, to me, uh, the modern technology in the last 20 or 30 years has shown that uh, the subduction is real. And yeah. we see these cold slabs going all the way down, and, and the answer to that was, well, maybe it's a fault. You know, it's just a, I said, well, you don't get cold faults on one side and hot on the other, and they both get hot or they both be cold. And so it's, you know, the, the, the data is stacking up that right. uh, plate tectonics uh, seems to be the better theory yeah. of the two, the technology, or the imaging in the last 20 years, particularly the subduction zones, to me, uh, tells the tale that subduction is real. It really did happen. All right, so it's more one of those things of it was a good theory at the time, but now it's just it it doesn't really stand up. So I, mean, I think yeah. it was you know he was you know Walt's a great Christian guy. He's yeah. he agrees with us that you know the Earth is six thousand years old. There was a global flood. It's just his mechanism. I think is 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 off a little bit. Okay. You know I think the the data that's been gathered in the last 30, 40 years has shown that plate tectonics is is more real than people want to. Some people want to give it credit for, right? And, but but it's hard to give up on a good idea. Yeah, you know, I, I understand. You know, he's Walt's, he Waltz. He's a good guy. When I talk to him, I don't want to, you know, yeah, take anything away from him. It was is a good idea at the time, but I think modern technology and imaging and and more. The more we find out about these plates and subduction zones, the more we're finding that those are real things that happen. But the key is, we believe it happened fast during the flood year. Right. So you might wonder why is it not happening fast today? Well, because there's no flood right now. Well, the reason there's no flood right now is because they're not moving fast. Right. That's part of the reason. But okay. the reason they, I believe that they stopped 
are almost essentially stopped and just barely moving today is because you used up all the original cold crust. And once you get rid of the old cold crust, what you're making today is warmer crust, hot new crust. And the hot new crust is more buoyant, doesn't want to subside, doesn't want to be pulled down in the earth because it's a little too hot, so everything just kind of stopped. Once you used up all the original cold created crust, everything just kind of stopped. But they're still moving a little bit because it's, you know, yeah. it's only 4,500 years ago or so, and these slabs are 60 miles thick, and they're kind of not floating per se, but they're, they're not really firmly attached to the mantle. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of movement still happening, but very, very you know, slow compared to what happened in the flood year. Okay, so paint me. Uh, we're now obviously done with the random science question of the day. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one because we get that all the yeah. time. I go to conferences, and usually it's engineers because Walt Brown was an engineer. Right. They come up there and say, "Well, I this, you know, how, and they don't, you know, sometimes people don't. They still don't want to change their ways. I understand. I don't want to burst their bubbles. Right. And say, "Oh no, that's you're going to make you know, them sad." But I think it's yeah. I think I think the better theory of the two is, you know, catastrophic plate tectonics. Right. And it does tie in pretty closely uh, to the topic at hand. So I'd like you to paint me a picture, uh, if you will. Imagine it's the flood year and you are a piece of the original seafloor, the original the original crust. Um, what's going on there during the flood year? What are you experiencing? What's what's happening? Okay, what's well, again? This is somewhat theoretical, obviously. Of course, because you, you weren't there. Because the, well, and also in my in my uh, research, I've tried to f- tie in you know like day one, day forty, because the Bible talks about day forty, right? And then day one fifty, right? And then at the end, about day three fourteen is where I see it, uh, when when the God looked, you know, basically told Noah to look out. He looked out, and the earth was dry, uh, but they didn't get off the ark for another sixty or so days, right? So eventually, it was a little over a year before they got off, but I think it was dry a little bit earlier than that. It drained off. and uh, But what happened, I think, is it, whether it was a miracle or whatever the case is, God burst open all these cracks all over the earth. And the earth is the only planet we know of that has tectonic plates. And I think that's another that is an unique evidence. feature of the earth. Yeah, yeah. That this was the, you know, the place that God put life, put Adam and Eve, and you know, ultimately Jesus had to come and, and be redeemer for our sins. Right. And uh, but so you, you burst everything open, <clears throat> and then exactly again how subduction began. But you, if you start to burst things open, you start the magma started coming out. You started making some crust. You had to get rid of some crust, and then things started to kind of push around. So if you piece of ocean crust, oh maybe in what was the original Atlantic Ocean, there might have been a small Atlantic Ocean, uh, not as big as we see today. Uh, this might have moved around, started moving, and maybe very slowly at the beginning. I don't think there was a lot of plate movement early on because the more ocean crust you make, the more the bottom of the seafloor was pushed up mm-hmm. because it was hot. And so to me, it was it created a progressive flood. But early on, all we see is marine fossils. We don't see a lot of flooding. In my research on the continents, ties in directly back to this, that we see limited flooding early. And it's almost just like maybe areas that might have been shallow marine areas. So you're making a little bit of crust but you're mostly making tsunami waves. You're right. not really making much crust, just in a few selected areas where you're making a little bit of early ocean crust. Because uh, we don't see much early open crust, as I mentioned. We only see crust that goes back to about the Absarico mega sequence, the fourth mega sequence. So what was happening early is kind of a guess, but it doesn't appear to be too much because you're not flooding much. So you're just pushing waves onto these 
shallow seas and burying things. And you do that for maybe the first 40 days of the flood. And then by day 40, it says the ark was launched. The ark started to float. So now we know we're flooding the land. And so suddenly we see coal seams all over the world. We see land animals all over the world start to get mixed in with marine animals. So now we know we're flooding the land. We're ripping out the vegetation, making coal, ripping land animals, throwing in marine animals, mixing them in. But before that, we didn't see that. And you also see more coverage on the continents. So how do you get more coverage? How do you get the tsunami waves to go higher? You push, make, push start making higher. more seafloor. So I think about yeah. the, the beginning of maybe day 40, the, what I call the Absarica Mega Sequence, possibly. That's when you start to really make ocean crust in earnest, as I say, in great amounts, particularly the Pacific Ocean. And we see the Pacific Ocean gets really big really fast. And so you're making all this ocean crust. All the continents are really kicking into gear. All you know, The Atlantic, the Indian Ocean, all of them go back to about that fourth mega sequence. And so you start to really make the ocean crust, and that's going to push up the bottom of the seafloor by making a lot of new hot crust. And so uh, I think Dr. Snelling, uh, Andrew Snelling calculated that you could push the water about a mile higher just by making a new seafloor. Mm-hmm. So he did, did some of the math and calculated that. John Baumgartner's worked on that as well, and he shows that there'll be tsunami waves, could be standing tsunami waves, because there's so many, you know, thousands of them each day. Uh, you'd almost have waves standing on the continents in some cases, easily covering 5,000 feet or more of elevation, which the pre-flood world might have only had 5,000-foot-high hills. Right. But, you know, that progressed along from day 40 to day 150, the Bible talks about where it reached a peak. So you had at least, uh, you know, was it 90 days, no, 110 days, Doing math in public is tough. Yeah, yeah, it's So fine. anyway, you have 110 days where you're really making yes. an ocean crust, really burying things higher and higher and higher and higher, and eventually it goes over the top. Right. Know, just maybe 23 feet or 15 cubits over the top, zipping across. The tsunami waves are still zipping maybe 50, 60 miles an hour over the, even over shallow depths. And so everything was wiped off. The highest hills were wiped down right there, the crust. Any human civilization was wiped out. But that little piece of ocean crust is moving right along, and eventually you go down in a subduction zone. And you go back into the mantle. And now the original ocean crust is all down in the mantle. Those really cold slabs that are down there that look sometimes like spaghetti noodles. Mm-hmm. But they're still pretty cold because they went down so fast. And so the original crust is gone of the ocean. Continents just moved around rapidly during the flood year. And then a whole new ocean crust was created. But because it was a progressive operation, you can only make you know, the way God did it. You know, he could have done it instantly. Right. But he chose to do this judgment to reach its peak in 150 days. And so the water progressed higher and higher and higher. Again, initially, maybe the first 40, it wasn't flooding a whole lot of the land. It was just making you know, movement, starting to make tsunami waves. And then you really started making ocean crust sometime around day 40. And that's when you see the ocean crust was formed totally anew all over the earth. Right. And that spread things really quickly. But it was the progression of that. The more ocean crust you make, the more the sea level is pushed up higher and higher because it's like pushing the bottom of your bathtub up a little bit each time. The waves, you're making these waves from the plate movement, but they started going higher and higher and higher. And so they reached the, eventually they went over the top. Right. And we do get those comments on YouTube and uh, other places when we talk about a progressive flood. I don't know, maybe it's just the word progressive that triggers them or something, but they're like, no, it's not a progressive flood. It's 40 days and 40 nights. And, uh, but we know from Scripture uh, that it's 371 days. Yeah, right? before they got off the ark, right? Yeah, according to Scripture is, is mm-hmm. how long that entire ordeal lasted. So a lot can happen in a year. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, to me, it's 
God could have done it quicker. Yeah. He could have just flooded everything. And there are some people that say it flooded everything right away. A lot of creationists will say that, but you don't see that in the evidence on the rocks on the continents, nor do you see that, you know, the mechanism, if you're using plate tectonics as your mechanism, you don't make instant new ocean crust. It, it took, you know, those ridges can only make it so fast. Right. The way the process seems to work, where you're making it several yards per second. Which is a lot. Which is way still faster fast, than you know, today. Five or so miles an hour of, you know, it's moving along. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it, as you made more, of course, you're constantly pushing up. Now, even during the receding phase, when most of the mountains were popping up all over the earth and there was all this kind of movement from all that rapid turmoil going on in the mantle. You have a lot of equilibration going on and things were going up and making the Himalayas and Andes and Rockies. You know, most of the mountain ranges, except for a couple of them, were made at the flood waters were receding. Mm. So you have tens of thousands of feet of uplift and downdrop going on all over the world and, you know, along these today's current mountain ranges. Uh, the Appalachians and Urals, they kind of happen midway through the flood, so they're not as tall, and they, they got actually flooded over, I think, mm. in the flood year. Uh, so they're a little more subdued than the Rockies, for example, and the Andes. But uh, those, all that kind of stuff is happening as the floodwaters are receding, but you're still making ocean crust. And so India still hadn't collided with Asia, even when the water had reached its peak. So you might wonder, well, how can you still have water going down when you're still making ocean crust actively? And it's because I think enough of the ocean crust that was already made was cooling so rapidly, you're sinking way in the deep, like the Pacific Ocean, a long way from the ridge uh, in the Western Pacific particularly, uh, that was sinking because it was cooling. Even though you're making new crust, the net result was just to, the water started to go down mm -hmm. because you're, you know, it's sinking and you're making more, but more of it's sinking now than what's being made. Yeah, and it's not so, an equal process. That's right, it's, and so it worked out that you're starting to slowly, and then God said he brought a wind as well to blow the water off. So initially he kind of got it going with the wind, and then the ocean crust was started to sink. And eventually all the ocean crust, all the original ocean crust was gone, subducted away, and everything kind of just came to a screeching halt. Uh, but it's still screeching. You know, it's still making slightly. earthquakes. Yeah, it's still slightly moving around, but it doesn't have the gravitational density difference that you need to really subduct quickly. Gotcha. And so everything kind of just stopped. There are other creationists that argue, well, there was a pre-flood. You know, they kind of almost buy into the uniformitarian idea of pre-continents and pre-continents. And you know, the geologists, conventional geologists have named several different uh, continents before Pangaea. You know, we kind of believe in like a modified Pangaea here at ICR. That's what seems to fit the data the best in our research. Uh, but others... Other creationists will say, oh, there was a Rodinia before that. I'm like, you can't have Rodinia before that. I've published some papers on that showing you can't make ocean crust twice. Mm. Once you make it, there goes your drive. Yeah. yeah. You can't do it twice. And so we can't buy into the idea, the, basically a the idea of these pre-continents that you know kept going ever since whenever you know, in deep time, they presume, of course, continents come together, make a supercontinent, break apart, come together again, make a supercontinent, break apart over hundreds of millions of years. Uh, but there's, surprisingly, I think that a lot of the creation community still uh, will accept that there was a Rodinia, mm. which was before Pangaea, which you really can't have it. If you understand geophysics and the, how the oceans work and how the, you know, the crust is made, and if you believe it was cold and that's what's causing the runaway subduction, you can't do that twice. Right. So we, if that was true, Rodinia would have broke apart and we'd be in a Pangaea world today. Yeah, wouldn't be able to break it apart again, uh, but you know, essentially there was this Pangaea similar to what ish, <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. 
I think there's some modifications to it. Uh, but basically, that's what broke apart. There was one big plate movement, one big new ocean crust form, and, and, that, and that was it. And then now here we are today. And that's why we've, we've stopped. You know, it's, but there's other things I even found in my research. There's salt, that Himalayan sea salt that everybody's buying. If you look at you know, the reconstructions of Pangaea, those, you know, India and Saudi Arabia and those things get right back together. Mm-hmm. And they fit really, really well. I published a paper on that. How those, even an article at ICR, you can look it up. Uh, search our website. You can look up uh, salt. and uh, I don't know if it's under Himalayan sea salt. I don't know what the best way to find it would be. But it was we'll, an article I put I'll on, find it we'll on Rodinia. It. Yeah. Maybe, maybe put in Rodinia. Yeah. And uh, there was no Rodinia. Uh, and because when you do it, put it back in Rodinia, they're all over the world. Yeah. No, they don't go back together at all. And the argument is in de- the deep time world, Rodinia was supposed to be as old as that sea salt, which I believe the sea salt that you're now we're using is actually uh, part of the earliest founts of the deep bursting forth. Some of the salt must have poured out somehow or other from the mantle. I'm not really sure. There's a lot of salt yeah. out there in the world, sometimes associated with these ridges and these ocean ridges. And so there's, there's still things I have to work out or others have to work out where we don't have all the answers. But it seems to fit the Pangaea model the best. Right. That and... Catastrophic plate right. tectonics. Right. And, yeah, you can yeah. only move them once. It's, uh, I don't once. understand. You know, sometimes we get stuck with these ideas, and we all do it. Yeah, you know, I do it. We all do it. We have to realize, eh, that was wrong. You know, once in a while, I've had to admit I was wrong. Uh, you? Oh, it, more more times than I'm right. It seems like, <laughs> but I think I'm getting closer to a better interpretation each time of the data. Right. I think the best interpretation of the data shows that there was a pre-flood Pangaea-like continent that got created. And then that broke apart through this process of seafloor spreading during the flood year and runaway subduction and uh, you know, recycled the oceans, basically. And, and start them all over. It fits scripture. It mm-hmm. fits the evidence. Mm-hmm. And we'll go with that. I think, well, I think it's the, I think it's the best mechanism also to explain the sediments. Mm-hmm. That I see a progressive flood. Right. You can see defined environments being buried as you kind of go up ecological zones. Higher and higher as the waves reach higher elevations, you get different animals and plants. And so right. That's really what we see, and you can see the coverage in the continents matches that. So it really does show strong evidence of progressive flood. And the best explanation for a progressive flood is a progressive creation of ocean crust that we believe happened during the flood year. Right. So take that, you naysayers. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell them. Uh, well, <laughs> if, you have, if you have any complaints, email them directly to Dr. Clary. That's correct. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's why, I, yeah, no, that's okay. You get, you, you've got I try before. to field them. I try yeah. to field them. But to yeah. me, to me it's, it's, not, it's not just the ocean data. It's the continents. Yeah. The continents match. You know, a progressive flood. We see a progressive flood on the, on the continents. And the best estimation for that is a progressive creation of ocean crust mm-hmm. through the process of catastrophic plate tectonics. And legitimately for our Listeners and viewers, if you do have questions or need some sort of clarification about these things, uh, let us know in the comments. And I personally will deliver them to Dr. Clary, and uh, he will answer them. Well, other theories, you know, I don't want to pick on Walt Brown, but hydroplate theory can't explain that. Yeah. They can't explain a progressive flood, and that's what the sediments show. And I wouldn't have known that until I came here a little over 10 years ago and started plotting up data on the continents. Plotting up oil wells offshore, onshore, as much as I can find. And I'm almost done with Australia, which would be the sixth continent. And, it's, and then you're going to Antarctica. And we're doing a little bit around, yeah, what we can around Antarctica. Right. There's there's some data. Uh, but uh, it's it really does show every continent shows about the same thing, the same progression of the flood at the same time, and all reaching a peak at about the same time. 
and very similar layers all over the world, same fossil pattern, uh, the same, you know, pattern of fossils, you know, starting out with marine fossils and then mixed land and marine, you know, dinosaur swampy areas. And then you get the upland areas where you get the more the larger mammals, et cetera. You know, other people try to end the flood, I think, a little too early as well, and that's another story. Uh, but I think the, the flood progressed along, and most of the fossils we see are all from the flood, just mm-hmm. like Henry Morris uh, wrote about in the Genesis flood book, him and uh, John Whitcomb. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of had it right. Yeah. And so there are a few things that need to be tweaked as we find more Because there were no plate tectonics. Right, they then, didn't, right? They didn't yeah. yeah, there was no concept of plate tectonics when they wrote that in the late 50s, and finally published it, I believe, in 61. Nobody... I guess we talked about earlier, nobody believed in plate tectonics. There wasn't even seafloor spreading had even been published. Right. And so they're just gathering the data still, and it wasn't really coming out that something's going on in the oceans that was different that we never knew about. So the, the, that just kind of goes to show the new data that we mm-hmm. get will always confirm right. what we see in Scripture. Wow. Exactly. Yeah, what, what, yeah what's, what's really cool is that you know, they, people think we can't use plate tectonics because it's not in the Scripture, but... There's a lot of things that aren't in scripture, right? <laughs> it's, it's, but it but it fits the, the flood. It right. explains the flood the best to me. It's the best model, the best mechanism to explain the flood. The, what we see in the continents. There's things we can still see. We can't go back in time. God tells us this and this and this happened these days. You know, day forty, day one fifty, and you can kind of tie that's that all we get. geology back in. Yeah. And to me, that's what that's the the fun that I get to have. Is I get to show people there really was a global flood. Yeah, you know, and you see the data. You can see the rocks, and it matches exactly with what God tells us in Scripture that, you know, this is what happened. Now, why it took 150 days, you know, that's, that's God's choice. Yeah. You know, but, well, but the people that didn't get on the ark, they had quite a while to regret not yeah. getting on the ark. Talk about and, a judgment. And maybe that's what he wanted to do, you know, but if we don't accept Jesus in our lives, we're going to have eternal judgment. We're going to be, you know, eternally damnation in hell. Yeah. And... These people just would lose their lives. You know, they were just losing their lives. And maybe they went to hell too because everything was so wicked and evil yeah. in the days of Noah. But it's, you know, we have a chance to for our salvation. Yeah. I tell all my audiences, the ark was, that door was salvation. Yeah. You know, walk through the door, you're saved. Today, it's Jesus. He offers us salvation through his death on the cross and his resurrection. We all have an opportunity for salvation. And we don't have to worry about that next judgment. Amen. Well, that's a, a great way to draw this to a close. And as as we end here, do you have any uh, final thoughts for listeners and viewers who may have still may have some questions about this subject? Well, there's a lot of stuff we've written at our website. Like I wrote an article we've called like embracing plate tectonics mm-hmm. or catastrophic plate tectonics. But you know, I challenge you if you're if you're doubting it, if you're you know you want to stick with. Walt Brown's theory of hydroplate theory, you know, look into at least plate tectonics. And, and to me, you, there's a lot of data that really, to me, I think the most data supports catastrophic plate tectonics as okay. the mechanism. And, you know, there's other ideas out there, uh, but again, if you're following the latest data to the latest, all the latest data, the tomography, everything else, to me, that fits the catastrophic plate tectonics model the best. But we shouldn't be afraid of it. It's not like it's an evolutionary theory. Right. You know, people think, oh, we can't believe that because it's evolutionary. I'm like, well, just because people that believe in evolution, many of those people came up with the theory, doesn't mean it's evolutionary. They are basing on the data. Right. And so there really is good data, hard data to, to back up 
plate tectonics and, and we believe catastrophic plate tectonics. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Sure thing. And to all of our listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of The Creation Podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, share. If you do have any questions for Dr. Clary, you can post those in the comments below and we'll do our best to get you an answer. And uh, if you want to get this podcast a week early or you want to get creation.live two weeks early, you can become a member here on YouTube or become a patron over on Patreon at the $6.99 tier. Uh, both of those shows are offered early. We have a couple of other tiers that offer some additional perks. So uh, there are links in the description. So click those to check that out. And uh, for now, um, we'll see you next time on the Creation Podcast.